if you've been worshiping with us for any period of time, you know that it's our tradition that the first Sunday after Christmas, I always speak on the same subject. It's not the same text, but it's always the same subject, and that is reading your Bible through in a year. And uh, we started that challenge the first year that I came. So if you picked up on that and have been doing it, congratulations, you will now have read your Bible through 32 times. There is a great benefit to reading the scriptures. We're going to talk about those benefits in just a moment. But for your help in reading the Bible through, we have three different reading plans that we are going to offer to you this morning. Feel free to take any one of the three or all three. One is reading the Bible through chronologically. That is reading the Bible through probably in the order that it was written. So instead of starting with Genesis, you start with the book of Job. And it's very helpful when you get to Kings and Chronicles because you you read the prophetic books that go along with those particular kings, and uh, it helps you to put the Bible together in a chronological fashion. We have mostly those available to you. Also, Pastor Dave ran off um, some copies of a canonical order, that is Genesis through Revelation, And then we have a third Bible reading plan that's also canonical, Genesis through Revelation, but it has a morning and evening element to it where you're reading in both the New Testament and the Old Testament each day. Uh, So if that appeals to you, we have that Bible reading plan for you as well. But we hope that you will commit yourself to reading through the Bible this year If you haven't made it successfully, don't get upset, don't give up, and I'd also say don't start over. Pick up where you left off so you don't just read Genesis 32 times. But, uh, you know, wherever you you dropped out, start again, start from there, and make it all the way through this year, and you will find it to be a great help. There are choices that we have to make in life. Some of those choices are pretty clear. They are black and white, if you will. They are simple and straightforward. The Bible puts before us two different ways of living. One way that is blessed, another way that is not blessed. A clear choice. In this passage in Psalm 1, we have described for us the way of blessing. Blessing. The way of blessing. Our theme this morning is the blessedness of the person who is habitually in the Word of God. The blessedness of the person who is habitually in the Word of God. First, it depicts for us in this scheme of two different ways to live, the way not to live, the way not to blessing, how the blessed person does not live. It starts negatively and then moves positively. The first thing we note is that the blessed person 
does not look to the ungodly for advice. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or King James, the counsel of the ungodly. In this passage, the wicked or the ungodly is literally those who think and act in such a way that there is no difference in persons or actions. There is no difference in persons or in actions. It's a failure to make a distinction between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and falsehood, justice and injustice. It's not that these people are necessarily immoral. When we think of somebody being immoral, we think of them as acting in an immoral or unrighteous manner. These people would be amoral, meaning they have no morality. They have no standard for righteousness. They have no standard for right and wrong. And it's interesting that the scripture says, walk not in the counsel or the advice of such individuals. I say it's ironic because in the secular world, in non-Christian counseling spheres, the most common form of counseling is referred to as non-directive counseling. That means you don't tell somebody how to live. You don't make choices for them. For you are in no position to make a choice for someone else. You're in no position to tell someone else what they are to do, what is right or wrong. They have to discover for themselves what is right or wrong for them. What is good or bad for them. Transactional analysis gives an example of how you must decide that for yourself. In uh, one of the typical Examples in transactional analysis is a story of a, of a young boy, probably about 10 years of age, and he is up at bat, or going to be up at bat, uh, at this particular time to play baseball. It's a sandlot league. He's just out fun, having fun with his friends. His mother throws open the screen door in the back and yells, Tommy, it's time to eat. Now the question. Should Tommy stop and go and eat, or should Tommy stay and play baseball? Answer, it depends on what's going to bring the greatest amount of happiness to Tommy. If Tommy is going to be scolded, reprimanded, and feel awful because he doesn't go home right away, then he should probably go home. But... If he stays and hits a home run, then he may not care that he's been scolded and reprimanded at home, and he can enjoy the afternoon. But maybe he'll strike out. 
And then he'll be unhappy because he struck out and he's going to be scolded and be upset when he goes home. So he has to decide what is going to make him the most happy. That is one of the paradigms for deciding what you should do in life. What is going to make you the most happy? So in this non-directive counseling approach, what a counselor does is reflect what they are hearing the individual say so that the person can get in touch with their own emotions. So a counselor may sit there and hear a person complain about someone who uh, cut in front of them at a line in a store. Oh, that bothers me. Cut right in front of me. It was Christmas. I had all these things in my hand, and this person has the audacity to step in front of me and jip. The counselor says, it sounds like you're not very happy. You're right, I'm not happy. What would you do? How do you think you should respond in that unhappiness? Well, I probably really shouldn't feel that way. I, I probably should, should have asked that person for forgiveness for getting so upset. Well, how would you go about that? What would you do if you wanted to ask that person for forgiveness and would leave them down alone? Or the person may say, sounds like you're very angry. You better believe it I'm angry. What do you wish you would have done? I wish I would have kicked them. Well, how would you have gone about kicking that person? What would you expect would have done? But there's no right or wrong. It, one is not affirmed more than the other. That's what this is talking about when it's talking about walking in the counsel of the ungodly. People who are amoral. No sense of an ultimate right or wrong. Good or evil. Black and white. Biblical counseling is a directive counseling. It proclaims what is right, what is wrong, and there are ways that we should respond to situations that are appropriate and ways that we respond that are inappropriate. Secondly, the blessed person does not engage in sinful behavior patterns that have become socially acceptable. Notice the second phrase, nor stands in the way of sinners. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Many, 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 many years ago, I was program director at Victory Valley Camp. One summer, I was leading a campfire and had a bunch of uh, children, and I was speaking from Psalm 1. And I said, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners. Do you know what that means? And one child said, Yes, if they want to sin, just go ahead and let them. Don't stand in their way. That's not what it means. Okay. Standing in the way means to go along with. To go along with. It is a course of life in which the lifestyle or pattern of behavior is the same as the ungodly world round about us. Living your life in the same way that a non-believer lives their life. We could cite many, many examples of that this morning. One simple one is living together before you're married. That is becoming a social norm. The stigma has been removed. 
It seems as though nobody thinks at all about the harm, the misery, the inappropriateness of living together before you're married. As Christians, we should understand that that's inappropriate. We should understand that that's not right behavior. We should understand that's not acceptable. We don't do that. So the blessed person is a person who doesn't follow cultural norms, but lives their life in accordance with God's word as opposed to cultural norms and expectations. The third example is blessed is the person who does not put down those who are seeking to live a holy lifestyle. Verse 1, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. The scoffer is a person who belittles, ridicules, puts down, mocks, one who is trying to do what is right or stands for the right thing. As Christians, we appreciate those that are seeking to do what is right, what is godly. We don't make fun of, we encourage. We try to uh, bolster such people and cause them to do what is right. So secondly, now we look at the life of the blessed person, which is really where we want to focus this morning. And first, how the blessed person does live and conduct his or himself or herself. First, the blessed person takes delight in God's word. To delight in is to incline one's will toward or set as a goal, an ambition to obtain, not only to know God's word, but to live by it. The believer's delight is not only in knowing, studying, and memorizing the word of God, but especially in doing God's will, rather than being deceived by the wicked. In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, we have this word delight, and it helps us to understand what it means. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. So taking delight in is to honor, it is to value, it is to make as one's pleasure, make as one's goal to do that which is appropriate or that which is right. There are basically two ways to live one's life. And they are quite contrary the one to the other. One life focuses on the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. The other life is focused not on the word. And so what we basically come down to is one life is focused on spiritual things, and the other life is focused on material things. What do we need most in life? In the book of Matthew, 
It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then it goes on to say, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then it goes on to say, Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall you put on. Is not the life more than food and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add one statue, one cubit to your stature? And why are you anxious concerning raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. That's how the non-believer lives their life. The non-believer is consumed with providing for their needs. And they understand their basic needs as food, clothing, and shelter. And their life is committed to providing for themselves so that they can see into the distant future that they will always have food, clothing, and shelter. And that motivates them and that gives them their sense of security. Matthew says, that's what the Gentiles seek for. But seek ye first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But seek first the things of God. And God will take care of all the rest. That doesn't mean you're irresponsible, but it says that for the believer, the most important aspect of life is spiritual. If you take care of the spiritual, you will also take care of the physical. For the non-believer, the most important aspect of the life is the physical, material aspect of life. And they could give a rip or not think very much about the spiritual aspect of life. So I say to you, that as a Christian, our priority in life must be the spiritual. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And if we're going to do that in a practical way, I just say to you, not in an acrimonious way, but in a kind and gentle way, that each one of us needs to make the priority in our lives 
spiritual priorities. That means we should never be too busy to read our Bible. Because it should be incredibly important to us. If something has to be shelved today in order to read my Bible, then I've got to shelve that thing in order to have opportunity to read the Bible. I appreciate my wife for many things. Uh, One of the things that I appreciate about my wife is she's very low maintenance. Uh, She's easy to get along with. And I remember when we were dating, I had made a commitment to myself that I was going to read the Bible for an hour every day. And at the time I was going to college, and at the time I was also working part-time, and so there were just a lot of things going on, and our dates would always be contingent upon if I've got my hour to read the Bible. And if not, we're going to cancel our date. I can't tell you how many dates I canceled at the last minute because I didn't get my Bible reading in for that day yet. She never complained once. She never got upset with me, and she even married me, which is, which is, which is great. But I, I'm just saying to you that, that it has to be certain priorities in life. And I'm just asking you to make reading the Bible a priority in your life this year. And I would say, at a bare minimum, that is reading two or three chapters, and that will take you through the Bible in a year. Having confidence in the spiritual as opposed to the material. And so our verse goes on to say, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. So the blessed person meditates in God's word. Meditates in God's word. The word meditate, literally, the most literal translation of the word meditate means to mutter to mutter, to speak to oneself. I don't know. Do you talk to yourself? I do. I do. Uh, I talk out loud to myself. That's how lonely I am. No, no. But I do. I, 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 I talk to myself. To reason to yourself from the word of God. But you see, in order really to meditate on God's word, you need to be able to speak God's word to yourself. Psalm 1. If I'm going to meditate on Psalm 1 this week, 
If, if I'm going to reflect and, and say, now, now what does Psalm 1 really mean? And how do I live it out? I've got to be able to say to myself, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's being able to say the word of God to yourself. We ought to become so familiar with the scriptures that we know large portions of it by rote, by memory, so that we can reflect upon it. That's one reason that I encourage reading the Bible through in a year, just to familiarize yourself with it more and more and more. But uh, I really, really also commend to you memorization of God's Word. I'm really thankful for our Embark program. I think it's fantastic. Uh, the children are learning verses, and they're learning them in such a way that they don't forget them. Uh, if you haven't enrolled in Embark, uh, is it too late? No! Very good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, enroll in Embark. Uh, as adults, we don't have any incentive for you, but you certainly can pick up some Embark papers and memorize the Embark verses or memorize other portions of Scripture. But I encourage you to do so. The, the person that is doing so, it says, meditates day and night. I take those as two separate things. Kind of goes with the trilogy of the first verse. Blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the godly. Number two, stands in the way of sinners. Or three, sits in the seat of the scornful. That corresponds to the person who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates upon it during the daytime. That means it affects their actions. That means it affects their involvements. As they go through the day, they're, they're thinking about what does God's word say about what I'm doing? How does God's word address this particular decision I have to make in my life at this particular moment in time? And then thirdly, meditating upon God's word at night. At night, when you're laying on your bed, taking God's word in consideration. Psalm 63, verse 5, My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. I meditate upon thee in the night watches. I think about you. I think about your word. The older you get, the more difficult it is to sleep at night. Amen? And you, it, you know, one of the things you've got to do is get up and go to the bathroom. And then after you've gone to the bathroom, now you're wide awake. You know? and then, so what do you do with that time? 
What's going to occupy those restless moments? What do you think about? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. To meditate on the word of God and to reflect upon God's goodness and faithfulness as we lay awake at night. Which means we need to be extremely familiar with God's word. We need to read God's word. We need to read it in its entirety. We need to memorize God's word. But notice the benefits. The benefits. The benefits of giving yourself to the word of God will show over time. Notice verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. and all that he does, he prospers. It takes time for a tree to bear fruit. You don't just plant a tree and then the next day you've got fruit. It takes a period of time. So too, spiritual maturity. By the very definition, maturity takes time. You can be spiritual in an instant. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're spiritual, but you're not mature. Maturity takes time. Growth takes time. Bearing fruit takes time. The benefits of reading God's word takes time. You're not going to see it immediately. Oh, there are times, yes, when you read God's word and it just smacks you right between the eyes, it convicts you, or there's something you're worried about and all of a sudden you read a a verse of scripture that is full of comfort and compassion and, and you feel better and solace. Yes, but when I'm talking about just an overall knowledge of the word of God, an ability to understand what God's word says, that takes time. It takes time. But as you give yourself to the word of God, you, in fact, will grow. So the illustration that's given in the scripture is as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. A baby needs to drink milk on a daily basis. And as they drink that milk on a daily basis, they grow. They develop. They mature. They change. So it is with us. A word of encouragement. One of the things that is frustrating to so many is you read the Bible and you put it down and you can't remember what you just read. Ever happened to you? 
And sometimes it can even happen in a matter of seconds. You can just put down your Bible and you can say to yourself, what did I just read? Because your mind wanders. Just a couple words of encouragement. Number one, if you find your mind wandering a lot as you read, you're probably reading too slowly. Your mind's bored. You can think a lot faster than you can read. So it really behooves you to try to read faster. The faster you read, believe it or not, the greater your reader reading comprehension. Doesn't go in reverse. If you really want to understand something, you read it quickly. You will comprehend more than if you read it slowly. Hint number two. If when you read, you move your lips, it's a bad habit. Get out of it. Because it will cause you to read more slowly. About the fastest that you can speak is 360 words a minute. And so if you are pronouncing the words, moving your lips, the fastest you'll ever read is 360 words a minute. If you want to read faster than that, don't move your lips. Then, if you pronounce the words in your head, you can read faster than 360, but that's going to slow you down. You want to get to the place where you're reading and you're not pronouncing the words in your head either. You're just absorbing it. That takes time. It takes practice. There are courses you can do and so on. But all I'm saying to you is there are ways to help from your mind wandering. But number two, having said all that, I read and my mind still wanders. And I read and I don't remember what I have just read and it doesn't bother me an iota. Let me say that again. It doesn't bother me that I've just read the Bible and I don't remember what I read. Why doesn't it bother me? Because I also don't remember what I ate last week. I couldn't tell you over this last year what I ate on any particular day. But it nourished me. It strengthened me. I am alive and well and healthy today because of the benefits that I accrued from eating a healthy diet all year long. You absorb more than you realize. It affects you more than you're aware of. It adds to your overall understanding of the scripture, your overall knowledge. It will pay off in time. It's like a tree planted by the water. Here, the word of God is the water. It brings forth fruit in its season, in time, in time, in time. The benefits of this reading of the word of God is both present and future. Psalm 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are both benefits in reading God's word now and for eternity. Reading God's word prepares you for eternity. It prepares you for judgment so that you will stand in the time of judgment, that, that you are going to be found to be righteous and holy and just before God. The wicked, you see, they're going to be like the chaff which the wind drives away. They're not going to stand in the judgment. They're not going to last. Their way is going to perish. Their way is going to be undone. In 1 Timothy 4, 8, it says, Bodily exercise profits little. Bodily exercise profits little. Why does the Bible say that? I used to joke and say that was my life verse. Bodily exercise profits little. And uh, would kind of say that smugly as, uh, I didn't do anything. Uh, this past year, I made a, a, a real concerted effort to change both my diet and my lack of exercise. Most days now, I exercise an hour a day. And I have found it to be of great, great benefit. Um, I feel better. Uh, it's the way that I've been able to uh, control my diabetes, my sugar. I've been able to get off of four shots of insulin a day. I'm not on any medication whatsoever. It has proved to be of great value, great benefit. It's worth the hour it takes. So why does the Bible say bodily exercise profits little? Listen to the rest of the verse. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and the life which is to come. Bodily exercise profits little because it only profits in this lifetime. It only profits here and now. Bodily exercise now won't mean a thing for the health and condition of my resurrection body. Have hope, people. When you receive your resurrection body, it will be incorruptible undefiable, powerful, strong, beautiful, all these wonderful accolades, it's going to be better than any time you've been in good shape in this life. The resurrection body, A number one, and will have nothing to do with the exercise. You will not have prepared your body for its heavenly body through exercise. It only benefits this life. But godliness benefits not only for this life, but also for the life to come. It does prepare us. It does ready us. Rewards 
are going to be given. Praise is going to be uttered. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. How we give ourselves, what we give ourselves to, how we are spending our time matters not just for now, but also for eternity. And conversely, for those that think that the Bible is irrelevant and unnecessary, it matters not only for eternity, but now. But now. You see, it enables us not to walk in the counsel of the godly, not to stand in the way of sinners, and not to sit in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because our delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law do we meditate day and night. It is our deliverance. The verse that's on the outside of our bulletin is, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. God's word is that purifying influence in our hearts and lives. So I, I say to you, Spend time in God's word every day. I think one helpful way to do it is to read your Bible through in a year, at a bare minimum. But spend time in God's word every day. And not just reading it, but memorizing it. And let me say two things about that. First, Young people, you are so, so blessed because your mind is in great shape. And the younger you are, the easier it is to memorize. Don't blow, waste your youth. Spend time memorizing God's word. What you memorize today will be with you forever. I used to go and visit an Alzheimer's patient when I was uh, in the uh, Reading Church. And it taught me so much as a young person because that Alzheimer's patient would be in Never Never Land wouldn't know who I was, wouldn't remember anything until I would read the scriptures. And then all of a sudden, they, that person would be quoting the scriptures with me. My father, when he was out of it, when he thought there were cattle in the front room, when he thought he was going home, the one thing he always took was his cane and his Bible. It was always precious to him. Memorize God's word while you are young. And to the not so young, I understand that it is not as easy to memorize scripture when you are older than when you were younger. When I look back at it, I kick myself for not not memorizing more when I was younger because it was so much easier. And I will confess to you that for a period of time I used that as an excuse. 
For a period of time, I quit memorizing the scripture because it just I wasn't going like it used to. And it was really bothering me. It was really frustrating me. And sometimes I even wondered if the beginning of Alzheimer's wasn't setting in because I just wasn't getting it. I just couldn't do it. And I confessed it as a sin. I was being irresponsible. In my personal duty, in my responsibilities as a pastor. I said, this is wrong. And I really started to make an asserted effort, once again, to memorize scripture. Doesn't go as easy as it did, but it's going a lot better. It's going a lot better. Whatever age you are, don't stop memorizing the Word of God. Might take you a little longer, but you got a little more time to do it. So give yourself to the Word of God. Will you make that a New Year's resolution? Will you make that a commitment? Uh, We have Bible reading plans for you. You will be blessed. It will prove to be a great blessing to you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, forgive us. As a people, as a nation, there are places on the face of this earth where where believers would, would just be ecstatic if they had one or two books of the Bible. Lord, we have the Bible in such abundance, so many translations, so many devices, printed word, digitally represented. Many of us have numerous copies of the Bible. Help us not just to have it on our shelves, help us to have it in our hearts. Help us this year to really commit ourselves to giving ourselves to the study of your word. Help us to read it, to memorize it, to study it, to embrace it, to live it, to glorify you. Help us in these commitments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.